Good morning. So uh, if you've been here, we are going through the book of Acts, and um, it's been quite an adventure. We've seen a lot happen, but today we kind of come to a point where we see the first, what the church kind of calls a lay person. So this is somebody that is not a pastor. They're just kind of your normal, everyday person that sits in the chairs and and they're just kind of, they they were converted by the apostles. And so this guy's name is Stephen, right? And he's just kind of an everyday guy, part of the church. And then if you know anything or you've been in church before, Stephen's kind of famous for being the first martyr of Christianity. He was the first person who sacrificed himself, gave his life up, was really murdered for the cause of Christianity. And so as we kind of dive into this, there's kind of an obvious question that is asked by the text. Like when, whenever I go in and I study the Bible, I kind of study it through the lens of, of what, what, how can I apply this to my life, right? For a long time, the church has kind of had the messages that, that didn't relate to people. They didn't understand it. It was kind of a guy up in front of everybody talking. But, but the Bible is extremely applicable. You can apply it to your life. So that's kind of the lens that I look at it. And, and, and there's kind of an obvious question, right? Stephen gives up his life for the church, for Christ. And so I ask myself the question, would I be willing to do that? And you know, the, the, the church pastor answer is yes. But when I got real with myself, I got real with who I am, and I really started to kind of look at my heart, I was like, you know, I really can't answer that. I don't have the ability, the mindset, the context to, act, to answer that question. Because we live in, in a place where it's free to worship God. We live in a place where we're not persecuted. Yeah, people may look at us funny, people may judge us, but, but we're not thrown into jail. We're not murdered for our faith, honestly. And so I kind of, I asked this question, would I be willing to die for my faith? And honestly, it's kind of one of those things that I want to say yes, but this question doesn't really hit me like I think it should. So I started kind of searching and going deeper, and I kind of began to ask myself, well, how do you get to a place where you're willing to die for something? And I think in order to get there, you've got to be willing to live for it. So I asked myself, okay, am I willing to live for Christ? Am I willing to live for Jesus. And, and it kind of began to kind of come alive and say, okay, yes, yeah, so in order to die for something, you've got to be willing to live for it. And so that's kind of where the direction I want to go. That's the direction I kind of want to take the message this morning is, is what are you living for? Because when you find something that is worth living for, you find something that's worth dying for. And a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of go through their life and they, 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 they don't want to believe that hell is a real thing. And that, but, but hell wasn't created for you. Hell was created for Satan, right? And, and here's the deal. You actually have to step over Jesus. You have to avoid him in order to get there. The truth is, the truth is, Jesus has a story for you. He's got a story that he wants you to live. And we all have our own story. We all have our own narrative that we're trying to, to follow. We, we have the, this, this passion, this desire, no matter where we're at in life, that we kind of follow. I think of some, some strong examples. Um, as I go, I'm gonna turn my mic down and give it a little bit of feedback, but, but I, it, whether you're a sports fan or not, we're kind of in this season of, um, it's called the Tour de France, right? 
So if you don't know this, you know that this is Lance um, Armstrong, right? He's this cyclist guy, and he's kind of famous because he had cancer, and he overcame cancer, and he became this, <laughs> he became this, this famous cyclist, right? Because he overcame cancer and became a champion, right? So raise your hand if you know who Lance Armstrong is. So, so he overcame cancer and, and became a champion. But then later it came out that he was using drugs, right? And he was cheating. So his name, his legacy was, was tarnished. Like he didn't overcome cancer and became a champion. He overcame cancer and cheated. And so he kind of got the, the people started wanting to make movies about him. There's a documentary you can actually, you don't even have to watch the documentary. If you go and you just watch the trailer for it, this is a quote from Lance Armstrong during that, that trailer. He says, I like to win, but more than anything, I can't stand the idea of losing because to me, that equals death. See, Lance Armstrong found something that was worth living for, which then led him to something that was worth dying for. His narrative, his story, was he wanted to be a champion. And that's the standard at which he set all of his goals. He didn't, he, morals didn't matter. He didn't, it didn't matter that he had to cheat to get there. It didn't matter what he did. He wanted to be a winner. He wanted to be a champion. That's the story he wanted people to, to know about him, right? There's, a, there's another famous person, uh, Rihanna. Any Rihanna fans in here? Good. No, I'm just kidding. So Rihanna, a few years ago, uh, it was pretty famous that she got into an altercation with Chris Brown, and he abused her, right? But Rihanna, she's got this story that she wants people to know about her. And this story, her narrative, is that she is a tough girl, right? She's a tough girl. She's a fighter. Nobody's going to bring her down. And so this was the, her narrative, and then this happens, right? And she, you can go in there. You can see an interview from her, and she just talks about that this was the most vulnerable she had ever been in her life. Everybody knew what happened to her. But she had this image, this story, and that's not what she wanted it to be. She didn't want to be vulnerable. She wanted to be tough. She wanted to have this front. And so the next album she puts out is like a whole album of revenge songs, right? And she, and she continues this image. She does whatever she can so that people don't think about that time. They don't think about that vulnerable time in her life. But what they see is this tough girl, right? We all have a narrative. It doesn't just apply to people. I think about marketing, right? Marketing is a business has a product, and they, they want you to buy into this story from their product. That's not a bad thing, right? Like, if you've got a good product, you want people to know about it, right? So, but that's what marketing is. Sometimes it's a little twisted. I used to work at a, a sandwich place that will remain unnamed, but every year, they had this kind of cycle of marketing, and it's like they, they have this spin. We've got this new sandwich. Come try it. It's fresh. It's healthy, but the sandwich is on the menu all year long. It wasn't new. It was the same as last year. You could have gotten it yesterday, right? But they wanted you, they wanted the consumer to buy into this story, this narrative, that we've got a new product. Everywhere you look, nobody is, is, is safe from it. We have a story we want people to believe. But the truth is about that story is it can very easily control you. It can become your Lord. Jimmy Fallon, anybody Jimmy Fallon fans, right? I love Jimmy Fallon, he's hilarious. But at one of the, one of the episodes of the Tonight Show, he was talking and he, he made the comment that was, he said that 
When I was younger, I had the goal to be on SNL, Saturday Night Live, before I was 25. And if I didn't reach that goal, I was gonna take my own life. He had this narrative that he planned out, that he wanted to live out, and it ruled his life so much that he was willing to end it if he didn't reach that story. The truth is we all have a narrative. We all have a story. And God wants you to have that story. But if you're not living for the right narrative, if you're not living for the right passion, if you're not living for the right story, you'll never be satisfied. You might, you might get to the end and realize you've reached that goal and it's left you empty. And so we'll come and we'll try a different role. We'll try a different story. Or whatever it is, we have this, this passion. And the passion, honestly, is not like Stephen. See, he had a narrative. He had a passion that he wanted to see happen. And by living that out, he was able to serve even to his own death because he was so passionate and fulfilled through the story he was living. So I want to ask us some questions. You don't have to write these down. Um, if you want them, I can email them or text them to you. But, but these questions, I want you to just listen to them, answer them in your heart. And the point of these questions, I didn't come up with them. They're out of a book. But they, they help us identify what narrative we are pursuing. They help us identify what our story is. The first one is this. Early on in your conversations with people, in your relationships, what do you want to make sure people know about you? So you meet someone new, you're hanging out with them. What's the first facts about you that you tell them? What is the story you want them to know about you? Number two, what preoccupies you? What do you daydream about? What are you, when you're alone, where does your mind go effortlessly? What is it that you dream about? Is it starting a business? Is it starting a family? Is it whatever it is? Is it a new job? Is it a, whatever it is? What is it that preoccupies your mind when you're at home and you're chilling and you got some time to kill that your mind just effortlessly goes to? What's the story that you're pursuing? What if you failed at it or lost it actually caused you to feel like you wouldn't even want to be alive? What story, what accomplishment are you pursuing that if you were to fail or you were to lose it would cause you to not even want to be alive? Look, it can be good, it can be bad. I see this happen. This is one of the things that I was warned about when I was going into starting a new church. I had pastors say, look, you're gonna pursue this church, you're gonna pursue this church, you're gonna pursue this church. What if you failed? Would it cause you to leave the ministry? What if you failed? Would it cause you to not even want to live anymore? And they warned against it. Look, your passion, your goal is not this church. Your passion, your goal is to follow Jesus. So what in your life that if you were to fail at it would devastate you, make you not even want to be alive anymore? What do you look for to comfort you when things go badly? When things go wrong, when you hit a difficult situation, what is the thing that you turn to? What goal or desire, if unreached, would seriously make you think about turning away from God? When you hear these questions, what is the narrative that you're chasing after? Ultimately, I think we all have the same story we need to pursue. 
And I think that today we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. We're going to be looking from basically midway of Acts 5 to Acts 7. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm going to summarize some of it. But, but you see Stephen, right? You see this layperson who has a vision. He has a story. He has a narrative that he is pursuing. And I think that when we get a hold of that narrative and we apply it to our own life, we begin chasing something that is worth chasing. We begin chasing a vision. We begin to find something that is worth living for and ultimately something that would be worth dying for. So what I want to do is I want to look at Stephen's life. I want to see what he's pursuing and how he pursues it, and I want to apply it to us. I want to say, hey, I'm George. I've got these things that I enjoy doing. I've got these things I want to see happen. But is my life, is my life a mirror of Stephen's life, which was ultimately a mirror of Jesus' life? So Acts 5 kind of summarizes everything that we've, we've gone through up to this point in Acts. And then you see that there's some stuff going on. The church is growing, right? The church is growing and it's growing rapidly to the point where the apostles, who have been the leaders up to this point, have kind of lost control. And there's, there's people inside the church that are falling through the cracks. And, and so you have these people and it's some widows. And so there's the people come to the apostles and they say, hey, there is this ministry aspect that you as leaders are called to fulfill, and you're not fulfilling it. And so that's where we're going to pick up. I'm going to start with, with uh, Acts verse 6, and we're kind of short-staffed today, so it won't be on the screen. But I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll kind of take a break and kind of summarize what's going on, and then we'll read some more later. But Acts chapter 6 verse 1 says this, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, so these are the Greek Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the church is taking care of the widows, and now you've got these two, honestly, two different races of people. And one race is complaining because their widows are not being taken care of. They go to the leaders and they say, hey, we've got a problem. And this is what the leaders do. The 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, look, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom and will be turned and we will turn this responsibility over to them. We will give them we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip and a, a long list of names that I'm not going to bother pronouncing right now. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So you've got the apostles who are leaders, and there's a problem. And they can't continue doing their ministry and solve this problem. So they look to the people and they say, hey, we need some people to step up. We need some people to fill this role, and we're going to pray over them, we're going to anoint them, and we're going to have them fill this role while we continue doing what God's called us to do, right? And so you kind of see the structure of the church start to take place. you got these apostles who are going from city to city, telling people about Jesus, starting churches, and then they raise people up in these churches and say, okay, now you have to look over these people. You are their pastor. You are their shepherd. You are the one that's watching over them, making sure that their needs are met. And so what happens is Stephen is one of these people, and they say, okay, this is great. So they anoint Stephen and some of these people, and they pray over him, and now he is watching over them. And while he is doing this, while he's fulfilling this mission, we see, we see what his narrative is. 
And see, he was serving the widows. And he's leading, it says that priests became obedient to the word, which is kind of funny, right? Because priests are, are religious people. So how are priests who are already religious starting to follow Jesus? Well, these are the priests who didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe that Jesus was the one. And they were actually against the church. But because of Stephen's life and people like him, they are now seeing Jesus. See, if we can summarize into a little short statement what Stephen's story is, it's this. It's not about me. It's about you. And honestly, it's not just about you. It's about you seeing Jesus. That's Stephen's story. It's not about me. It's about you seeing Jesus. It's about our families. It's about our coworkers. It's about our neighbors. It's about the people that we live near. It's about them seeing the risen Savior through our actions. That's what we're called to be as the church. We're not called to just come and, and be a holy huddle where we sing some songs and we talk for a little bit. We're called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're called to be a light that shines the story of who Jesus is. That was what Stephen was passionate about, and that's what we should be passionate about. So we don't need people that just come and, and, and preach. We don't need people that just come and teach. We don't need people that just come and sing. We don't need people that just come and smile. We need people that are going out into the world, whether they're at a bakery or at a school or at a doctor's office, whatever they're at. And we need people to be out in the world telling others about Jesus. It's about coming here, worshiping God corporately together, but leaving this place and serving and loving the community. And when you do that, listen, when we start living for Jesus and we start seeing lives transformed, we see families being united, we see marriages being mended, we see kids growing up, healthy adults, that's when we really begin to be fulfilled. And Stephen knew that. He knew that when people change, when they find salvation in Jesus and he begins to transform them from the inside out, that that's when life is truly satisfying. And so we as believers, we have to pursue that narrative. We have to say, it's no longer about me, but it's about you seeing Jesus. And how does he do that? I think there's four things that Stephen does. And when he does these things, he lives out his narrative to the fullest. And the first one is he devotes himself to serving, right? That's the reason he gets the job in the first place. It's because there are some hurting widows who are hungry, unable to care for themselves. And Stephen, who is passionate about serving people, goes to them and serves them. I think there's three ways when it comes to service that we can apply it to our lives, right? You have somewhere in the area where you're skilled, somewhere in the area where you're passionate, and somewhere where there's a need. Serving widows, honestly, wasn't a skill or a passion for Stephen. If you learn, if you, if you go and I encourage you guys to read the first part of chapter seven, it's literally the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. It didn't come from a pastor. It came from a lay person. It came from Stephen. He was a gifted preacher. But you know what gets him the role that he has? Serving widows. This is not a dream job, right? It's, it's people who can't take care of themselves and he is taking care of them feeding them, cutting their grass if we take it to our area, right? Cutting their grass, taking care of them, loving them. It was not a dream job, but it was a need. If we're going to really fulfill our mission, 
to tell people about Jesus. We've got to be willing to serve in areas where we're skilled, where we're passionate, and where there's a need. The second thing he does is, is he, tells, he has a passion for God's word. So the apostle's job was to spread God's word, right? And he knew that that was so important, he didn't want them to have to stay back. So he steps up and fills a role so that they continue to teach God's word. And more than that, you see that he follows them, he studies them, and he learns God's word. Because in, in the, almost the whole chapter 7, he preaches God's word. Right? So he's got this passion where he wants it to be proclaimed by other people. And he's got this passion where he's willing to learn it himself and teach the people that he's responsible for. See, if we're going to be able to live out our mission of telling people about Jesus, we have to actually know his word. There's a, a famous pastor, you may have heard of him or not, Charles Spurgeon. He's one of the, the greatest um, orators of, of the modern church, right? So he's famous for being able to just preach these dynamic, powerful messages. But, you know, he was once an alcoholic, and he walked into a church, and he sat on the back row, and for one reason or another, the pastor of that church that Sunday was unable to be there. The pastor of that church was literally not there, and the congregation is sitting there, <coughs> And there's a lay person, much like Stephen, who happens to have a passion for God's word. He's not a preacher. He doesn't have practice. He didn't go to school for it. But the role needed to be filled. And he had such a passion for serving and such a passion for God's word that he stood up and he preached God's message that morning. Charles Spurgeon, the alcoholic sitting in the back row, heard it and went to the altar and surrendered his life to Christ that day. He went on to lead thousands of people to Jesus, not because of some fancy pastor, but because of a simple man who had a passion for God's word. If we're going to live out that story, if we're going to live out that narrative, we've got to be those people. We've got to be those people who are willing to serve and willing to serve with a passion and a heart that beats for God's word. Listen, I firmly believe that God still speaks to our hearts. He speaks audibly. He speaks silently. But I've heard so many people that just say they wish they could hear from God. You know how you hear from God? The Bible. At any point in your life, you can pick it up and start reading God's word. And it's in that that we find our passion. It's in that that we find our narrative. And we see our role in life and how God will use that role to make Jesus famous. But it starts with having a passion with his word. The third thing is that he didn't let someone else write his story. If you go in the reason that he preaches in Acts 7, it's because he's leading these people to Jesus. And these same Pharisees that we've seen throughout the book of Acts that have come and they've thrown Peter and John in jail and they've um, taken the, uh, Stephen now and they're throwing him in jail and they're, and they're persecuting him, right? And he stands up. He stands up. They even, they even go and they actually hire people to be false witnesses, right? So they hire people to lie against Stephen. Stephen's got this story of following Jesus, and they want people to say, hey, tell, tell the court, tell the court that Stephen's a liar. Tell the court. They start spreading these rumors about Stephen, and they come in and they try to change his story. They try to change his narrative and say Stephen's not the person he is. And he stands up, and he stands up, and it's so neat. He basically preaches this sermon where he goes through a story. Right? We're talking about this story. And he goes through the story from the beginning of the church in the Old Testament to where they are now. He says, you claim through your false witnesses that I'm this person. But the truth is, the truth is, you're the person you're saying I am. 
and he flips the script on them. Their goal is trying to change his story. And he says, you're not going to change my story. This is what I stand for. This is who I am. The person you claim that I'm supposed to be, that's who you're being. And they get furious, right? They get furious, and that's when they take him out and actually stone him. But up to this point, Stephen stands his ground. What's the saying that, that if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? Right? He stands his ground and says, you're not going to change my story. Makes me think about when I was a uh, freshman in college. All right, so my, I had a joint bank account with my parents. And I would get calls literally every day. And they would say, hey, why are you spending money on this? Why are you doing this? And they would talk to me and say, you need to do this. And basically my whole kind of fresh, first part of my freshman year and, and really my entire life up to this point, I've been living this story that my parents set before me. Right? I've been pursuing this thing and my parents are saying, controlling it. You need to be this. You need to be this. You need to do this. You can't say this. You can't act like that. You can't do this. And the truth was, the truth was, I was an older child. And I didn't want to disappoint my parents, right? Typical psychology, I had the, old, the whole older child thing. But I came to this breaking point. I came to this breaking point and said, look, this is who I am. And it wasn't a bad thing. It's not like my parents were trying to hurt me. But I just had to say, look, you've got to let me make my mistakes. You've got to let me fail. You've got to let me be me. You're not controlling my story anymore. I'm controlling my story. And many of us... You know, in that, in that instance, my parents wanted the best for me, but that's not always the situation. Sometimes there are people in our lives who are taking you down a path, who are controlling your narrative for you. But that's not how we live out the narrative that Jesus has in front of us. Stephen steps up and he says, you are not controlling my story. This is what I stand for. I am following after Jesus. I'm putting others first. To the point, to the point, let me go ahead and read this. I'm going to go ahead to the point in uh, the end of chapter 7. When, it, when they go to stone him, it says, When members of the Sanhedrin, that's the court that, that's arguing against Stephen, heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know what that means, but it sounds kind of like they're so mad. Right? Like, that's weird, but okay. So they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw, the, he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened up, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him, dragged him out into the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the Saul that later goes on, who is called Paul and writes most of the New Testament. Right? They laid their coats at the feet of Saul. And when they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, look at this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out. These men are stoning him. And he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not hold the sin against them. He is so passionate about his narrative of telling others about Jesus that when those others are literally persecuting him, he prays that they would know Jesus. Even to the point of his death, they're trying to control his story. And he says, no, I'm going to pray for you with my last words because my goal is that you would know Jesus. And that's what I'm living for. What would it be like to have something so powerful, a story so powerful that we can follow like that. Which takes me to the last point. The, the fourth thing that Stephen does is he follows Jesus even unto death. 
If you look at Stephen's story, it's really cool because there's part of it where his face lights up, right? His face lights up. He's being killed by people and he prays for them going into his death. You know who else did all of those things? Jesus. Jesus prays for people as he's dying on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. He prays that for the people that are hanging him on the cross. He, Stephen was so willing and so passionate about this story that he lives exactly like, he dies exactly like Jesus, praying for those that are hurting him. There's a, being a part of a church, being part of a, the Christian faith, surrendering your life to Jesus is the greatest thing you could ever do. And it brings so much blessing and so much honor and so much joy. But the truth is, life is not always on the mountaintop. Sometimes we hit valleys, right? And, and to, to have a pastor that stands up and says, if you surrender your life to Christ, it'll always be perfect is, is not true. And here is a man, Stephen, who is following after Jesus with all that he has, and his life comes to an end. You wanna know the truth? It's the message that you preach in your pain will always be louder than the message that you preach in your blessing. Now I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not hoping that we all go through trials and I'm not hoping that we all have to suffer and I'm not hoping that bad things happen to us, but I do know that it's in moments of great trial when we stand firm in our faith and we proclaim the name of Jesus even in those moments that they have the greatest impact. Lauren mentioned it earlier, her mom is facing stage three cancer right now and it's scary and it's painful and it's not something we ever wanted to happen. But she's got a family friend. She's got a friend that's been a friend of hers from childhood and they've been praying for that friend's brother for years, years. I mean, this, this brother's got all kinds of issues from addictions and other things. And through the narrative of Lauren's mom praising Jesus even in cancer, this guy that they've been praying for for decades goes to a Wednesday night service at this small Baptist church in North Carolina. And before the service is even over, goes up to one of the pastors and says, you have to pray for me. And he surrenders his life to Jesus. This was Wednesday night, this past week. The sermons that we preach in our pain will always be louder than the messages we preach in our blessing. God uses your story, no matter if you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. The question is, are we willing to follow Jesus even when things don't go right? The way Stephen did this, he says that he looked up in the heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And this is significant because most of the time in scripture, when you see Jesus at the right hand of God, you know what he's doing? He's sitting. But in this passage, it says that Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I think this is significant because what we need to know is that when we're following Jesus, life is not always going to be great. But there are points when we're at our hardest time, and the Bible says that Jesus is interceding for us. And you've got to know that Jesus is standing up and he's fighting for you. And that is the gospel. That is what Stephen saw. That's what Stephen believed is that, that he realized that Jesus Christ died for these people. In their sin, it didn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how bad they are. But he has this passion for seeing people know Jesus. 
And even into his death, he follows that calling and he follows that narrative. And what happens? There's a man named Saul standing there witnessing all of this. And two chapters, when we get into Acts 9, Saul is, we see him referred to as Paul. And you know what he does? He has his own encounter with Jesus. And he realizes that he has been a murderer. And he goes on. He surrenders his life to Christ. And he is, a, he is one of the, the fuel, some of the fuel of which that Jesus ignites the church. And it, it passionately spreads throughout the world. Even to this day, millions and billions of people have followed Jesus because of the letters that Paul wrote. Most of the New Testament. Paul wrote that. And the first time that Paul sees somebody willing to die, the first time that Paul sees somebody passionate about, passionate about Jesus is Stephen. And that's our story. You can be Stephen. You can be the person so passionate about that you found something to live for, and that person is Jesus. And when you find that, you find something worth dying for, and people will know Jesus because of your life. He doesn't care if you're like Paul. Once a murderer, he still died for you. He doesn't care what your sins are. He doesn't care what your past is. He will give you a new future. The question is, what are you living for? All of this happened because, Jesus, or because Stephen fixed his eyes on Jesus and passionately pursued his story. What are you pursuing? What is the narrative how did you answer the questions in the beginning of the message? Let's flip the script. Let's be passionate about God's word. Let's devote ourselves to serving others. Let's write our own story and not let others control it for us. And let's follow Jesus even unto death. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your life. Sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that of what you went through so that we can have a new story. And Lord, I pray that, that as we grow as a church and as we grow as individuals, that you will take our story and you will mold it and you will shape it and that we can be passionately serving others. That we can be so fixated on who you are and so in love with who you are that our story changes from what can I do to be happy. And our story changes from this immediate gratification. Our story changes from whatever it is now. And it changes into this thing. You know what? It's not about me. But it's about mom or dad or sister or brother. It's about spouse. It's about coworker. It's about our children seeing you. Let us be so in love with you, Jesus, and so amazed by your presence and your gift and when you died on the cross and how your blood transformed us that we live a life that points to other, points other people to who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.